Of course, they're right from the Bible. You can't beat that. I want you to take your Bible and uh, locate Hebrews chapter 10, if you would, this morning. Uh, we'll look there in a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. Glad to see everybody. I want to talk to you on uh, blessing your church family. How to bless your church family. Uh, you could put how to bless my family. Uh, but it's in a context of your church family. But these principles apply to uh, a group dynamic. But when you minister in individuals, you end up being able to, to bless other people. Uh, you know, people are different. They like different types of music. They like uh, different vacation spots. I like peaceful things. I like uh, peaceful music. If you were to uh, uh, listen to, to my music, it would be very peaceful music. I like going to uh, peaceful places. I told our class the other day that I like uh, the mountains and I like the ocean. And I like a good storm every now and then, but not too much of it. Um, but I enjoy calm and, and quiet. I, I don't want to be in a place of conflict and, and arguing and, and anger. And our homes ought to reflect that. I want my home to be like that. And I want to be that kind of a man uh, in this church, in my friendships, and also uh, in our family. Uh, our home ought to be like a haven uh, where people come home, uh, whether it's our children or our friends or the spouse, and, and there's a quietness there. Now, by that, I don't literally mean maybe sometimes physical quietness, but also a quietness of spirit where there's not angst and, and tension uh, Paul and I have some friends that live in Atlanta. We met them in Washington, D.C. They were stationed at Fort Belvoir, and they began to work in our youth ministry. They had three three boys that were teenagers, and so they served in our youth ministry, and we got to know Tom and Rennell very well. They moved back to Atlanta because that's where their families lived when Tom retired from the government. And so... Uh, for, oh my, uh, over 30 years, uh, maybe 30 years plus, we've been making treks over to Atlanta to see them. Uh, sometimes on the way to other trips, we'll stop by there. Well, um, in one of their homes, um, they, they had a little plaque. And uh, I told Renelle, the wife, this, one of the things that I look forward to was coming there and just seeing that little plaque. And it was a scripture, Psalm 4610, Be still and know that I am God. And if you know the psalm, it's, it's filled with turbulence and, and really storms. It's a stormy psalm and just fretting and a lot of problems. And then God says, be still. I want you to relax. I want you to be quiet. Be still and know that I'm God. And it was good for me to look at that verse. And sometimes I would be the only one in, in the house while other people were gone. And they had a rocking chair right by that, uh, uh, right below that, that little plaque. And I would just sit there in that rocking chair and I would, I would think and I remember the goodness of God in my life. And I would pray and sometimes cast my, my burdens upon the Lord. But not only did they have that plaque that said that, be still and know that I'm God. Their, their home reflected that. And as a couple, they reflect that. When I was thinking about um, 
developing this introduction, I thought about them. So um, last night I asked Paula, I said, Paula, when, when you think about us going to Tom and Rennell's house, what do you think about? And she, she thought for a minute. She said, I think about being refreshed. I think about being refreshed. And you know, when you come to our church, or when people come to your family, there's a lot of applications to this. I kind of want to talk to you about our church. They ought to be refreshed. They ought to be blessed. There ought to be an encouragement factor. Now, Tom and Rennell's home didn't just happen that way by accident. There were some specific factors that made it that way. And if a church becomes a place of solace, a place of encouragement, a place where your spirit can quieten, there, there is some specific means to that. And the Bible tells us how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. In fact, the Bible never tells us to do something without purpose. The Bible is a book of intention and purpose. Now, sometimes you, you don't know the purpose, but God always has purpose. And God wants His church to be a healthy church because God wants you to be a healthy Christian. Now, if, if you are a healthy Christian, and I'm talking about spiritual health, um, years ago I, I brought a message on, on diagnostics of a, of a spiritual of a healthy Christian, diagnostics of a healthy Christian. And I, I gave these 15 measurements, and I, I put them on a, like a little um, bookmarker, and I, I gave them to the church with that message. But if each of you are, are healthy Christians, we will have a healthy church. Now, healthy, healthy things grow. Healthy people grow. Uh, we had a little uh, grandson out in Texas. We were able to go see him. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and of course, you know what happens. They have these visits, and they weigh them, and they measure them, because healthy little babies grow. Unhealthy people don't grow. Now, institutionally, there's a word that's going around now called toxic people, toxic environments. And uh, there may be some, some toxic churches, maybe even having orthodox doctrine, but not having uh, people that are obeying those doctrines. So not only do, do toxic people and toxic environments and churches not grow, listen to this, but they infect other people around them. I was reading a sermon recently by, by a leader, uh, personally, that, that I consider is, is somewhat toxic in, in his leadership style. And uh, four or five paragraphs into the message, he, he began his rant. It was a printed message. And it was kind of a predictable thing. Um, you know, somebody said one time, I learned this early on as a, as a, before I was ever a senior pastor. I always had a shepherd's heart. I never really wanted to, to be a senior pastor. I just wanted to shepherd people and, and help people. But um, it, it was like this, that shepherd's with their sheep, that feeding is regular, but fleecing is seasonal. You feed the sheep consistently, but you fleece them seasonally. 
Some pastors just fleece their people consistently. Now, we need the truth of the Word of God, and sometimes it stings. But we need to be fed the Word of God to make us strong and healthy so that we can grow. Now, when there are unhealthy leaders with unbiblical philosophies leading churches, there's a disaster. I read an article this week about, I was actually uh, doing some research for this message, for the introduction at least, and uh, it was talking about the damage from this this egocentric leader. In fact, I listened to a, a series of podcasts about this man, and one day Paula was listening, and, and they had little snippets with him preaching. And she said, Rick, who is that preaching? I said, oh, it's this guy out west. Is he a pastor? I said, believe it or not, he is. And she said, I cannot believe anybody would stay in the church. I said, well, uh, that's why I'm kind of listening uh, to see about this guy. It was a mega church. It was a huge church. Now I want to read something from someone that we wrote about this. Uh, the disgraced mega church pastor, I'm not going to read his name. There's no need to do that. The disgraced mega church pastor, and it, pastor so-and-so, once described his church's growth. They exploded in growth by saying that there was a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. If that wasn't bad enough, he added, and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain of bodies by the time we're done. Though Mars Hill would close not too many years after this pastor spoke those awful words, his remarks map quite neatly onto an evangelicalism that has left behind its first love and instead embraced the gospel of power and wealth rather than servanthood. We want to be significant. We want people to know us. And there is indeed a mountain of bodies in its wake. The writer says, many of them are known to me. It is about the broader question of how we build. Listen to this. This is good. It is rather about the broader question of how we build flourishing communities shaped by the truths taught in the Christian faith. The goal is not merely to see the faith passed on to our children, because we, we're always caring about our kids, and we should. I'll teach you that. But also to see others enter the community. I like these synonyms for the church. Enter the community and similarly be nourished and in time drawn to Christ themselves. Much of the time that has to do with a question of place, home, and listen, the daily practices that shape these places, those environments. Now, that's, that's extreme. That's an egocentric leader. But he really hits the nail on the head here that what makes these places for good or bad is either health or, or unhealthy leaders. And then uh, Randy Alcorn is one of my favorite writers. He wrote a book called... Uh, um, the Grace and Truth Paradox. And he talks about the simplicity of the early church. And listen to what, just a few sentences, and here's what Alcorn said. He said, The only church growth formula the early church possessed was the body of truth 
flowing with the blood of grace. Those two drew thousands to Jesus by being like Jesus. But what does it mean to be like Jesus? This is a good question. What does it mean to be like Jesus? We could come up with long list of his character qualities. But what if the character of Christ was reducible to two ingredients? And he says, in fact, it is. Jesus is full of two things, grace and truth. And that's the gospel. And that's discipleship. We're, we're giving people the truth about God and his word, his son and sin We're doing it in a gracious way, and we're telling them about the gospel of grace. I think it's in Luke 4.18. And the Bible there says that the Lord Jesus Christ, that his words were gracious words. His words were gracious words. Here's another quote. by a writer, listen to this. People not do not drift towards holiness. And churches do not drift towards good health. It is up to the leader to create a healthy church culture. Now I agree with that quote. I want to read it again. People do not drift towards holiness. And churches do not drift towards good health. It is up to the leader to create a healthy church culture. I, I agree with that quote mostly, especially the first part, because if anything, we drift away from holiness and health. There must be intentionality about spiritual disciplines, but, but we don't discipline ourselves into holiness. There's a part of that. We, the, the Bible talks about that, John eight thirty one and other places. But you can be highly disciplined like a Pharisee and know the word, and not love Christ. But here, here's the part that's not fully true. Are you listening? You got your hat on, thinking hat? It is up to the leader to create a healthy church, church culture. And that's only partially true. I, I grew up, uh, went to a wonderful Bible college with a wonderful pastor. And, and I, he preached here many times. I'm very, very indebted to him and, and love him very, very much. And uh, he used to quote, and, and as far as I know, he came up with this quote, that everything rises and falls on leadership. I believe that. But I believe it partially. You say, well, what part do you disagree? What, well, stay with me here. When the Bible talks about people not drifting towards holiness and churches not drifting towards good health, the Bible tells a pastor how to do this in Ephesians 4 and Colossians chapter 1. So to create a metaphor, the pastor sets the table with spiritual food. It's up to the people what they do with that food. Whether they partake of the food and they act upon what they've been fed. And let me give you a, a silly illustration, okay? Um, I have uh, problems with, with my kidneys, and some of you do too. And I, I produce a lot of kidney stones. I was in the hospital this past week for another procedure for all of that. So one of the things my doctor asked me to do is he says, I want you to drink lemonade 
every day. And so Paula makes it for me every day with that sugar. She puts some other stuff in it so I can maintain my build because that's important to me. And uh, anyhow, so I drink this lemonade every day because it helps to break down the stones. So he told me to do that, and I, I maintain that, and I do some other things. Now, I know the information, but if I walk out of his office and I don't do anything with it, then that's not his fault. As a professional, as a good doctor, he has told me what to do. So, and he's dead on because I've done my own research to know what lemon juice does to those things. But I haven't said all that, not that I know more than doctors. I, I'm accountable for the truth. So I agree with that quote, but I agree with it partially. And listen to this. Success and greatness in God's eyes is different than man's eyes. And success and greatness in God's eyes is measured by obedience. Boy, I believe that. I believe that. And if you want to be successful in the eyes of God, it says in Luke one fifteen that John the Baptist was great in the sight of the Lord. He was beheaded when he was 30 years old. And by all accounts, when you look at him, he, he had a great start and a bad finish. But God said he was great in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said he was the greatest man that ever lived. Success and greatness in God's eyes is, is obedience. So what are the means to, let me get back to what I started with, to a peaceful and a happy environment where, where, that, where that growth can happen, where people come in and they sense that, okay, I'm, this is a safe environment. This is a place of joy. This is a place of confidence. This is a place of authenticity. How, how does this happen? I want to give you some samples. There's a group of people in the Bible that had a reputation for doing this, and their names are rarely mentioned in the Bible. Some of you have never heard of them. Maybe not. don't know much about them if you have. But their influence was pr- profound. And all of them but one that I'm going to give you this morning were laymen. They weren't apostles. They weren't pastors. I don't like the word layman because I don't like the, the pulpit and the pew separation. But but I use it because it's, it's a good word to define my terms. The first one is Onesiphorus. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. And here he says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. And he's praying, he said, God, be merciful unto his home and his family. Now why? For he oft, often refreshed me. And Paula didn't know that I was going to use this word this morning when she spoke about her friends in Georgia. This man oft refreshed me. And Paul was in prison when he wrote this. This is what it means. He was not ashamed of my chain. 
Anesiphorus is only mentioned two times in the Bible. 2 Timothy 1 here, and he chapter 4 and verse 9. Some of the last words Paul wrote. When Paul said, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 19, I messed up. Salute Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. They were dear to his heart. You know what his name means? It means to bear profit or value. Wherever he goes, he brings value. You know what his value was? He didn't bring money. Maybe he did sometimes. You know what he brought? He brought he brought refreshment. Now the word refreshment there means to it means to cool down. It's like a cool drink on a hot day. It means air conditioning on a hot day. It means to cool down. You know, oh, that that feels good. It may be a it may be a refreshing conversation. May have been a whole bunch of things. But here's this man that one day will receive a great reward at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ because of his ministry to Paul. Then there's uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus, and then also Achaicus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is at the end of the letter. Paul said, I'm glad, I'm really glad to see these guys, of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, you'd promised to help me with some things, but you didn't. They have supplied, and they took care of him. For they have refreshed, now watch this. My spirit, look at this, and yours. They haven't just, you know, he, what he's saying, you know this about them. Everywhere they go, they refresh, not just me. These men are, are refreshers. And then he says this, acknowledge ye them that are such. Not just these three men, but anybody like this. You need to hold them up. They are vital they are vital to the health of the church. If you're an encourager this morning, I salute you. One writer said people die for lack of encouragement. He's not talking about a physical death. But people die for lack of encouragement more than any other thing. Someone else said encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. Why do you think Barnabas was so effective wherever he went? His name was was Joseph. Barnabas was in his name. That was his nickname, which means son of consolation, son of encouragement. Encouragement was his daddy, and that was his his son was Barnabas. He just oozed with it, and you study his life everywhere he went. Now get this. Stephan is mentioned four times in Corinthians. Four times. And some scholars believe he's the jailer that Paul won to Christ in Acts 16 when the earthquake came. Because in 1 Corinthians 1, it says he was the first convert I won there in the Corinthian church. But only four times he was a layman. And it's also said of him that... He, that his family had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. 
It's in 1 Corinthians 16. Stephanus had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Fortunatus is only mentioned two times in 1 Corinthians 16. Achaicus is only mentioned one time. That's important, but they left a memory. They're mentioned in Scripture because they refreshed my spirit and yours. There's people in our church, I'm not going to get started, that I could say, hey, they helped me, but they helped you. And then Philemon. In Philemon in verse 7, Paul wrote him and he said, We have great joy and consolation. I love that word, to console means to, to receive encouragement because of your love. And consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now, I know that's old English and, you know, the teenagers snicker at stuff like that. But I'm going to tell you, I like that word. You know, if you go to uh, undeveloped countries today, um, they talk about, they don't say, I love you with my heart, I love you with my liver, or I love you with my kidney. This is truth. And this is such here, and the word is accurately translated there, the bowels of the saints. And it has the idea of the spleen and, and, and all of this down here. And, and that's where, where you, you feel. That's the idea. It, it's talking about the emotions, the feelings. Can I use it the way? The affections. The most personal parts of it. I'm touched. I'm refreshed at the deepest level. You know how many times he's mentioned in the Bible? Two times. Refresh, 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 refresh. Now, this is introductory. I don't even know if I'll get to the sermon today. Let me give you three ways you can refresh people. Number one, you refresh others with your timely words. Refresh others with your timely words. Now, just because you you talk a lot doesn't mean you refresh. Um, Proverbs 15, I showed you a few weeks ago, says you need to study your words, study to answer. But there are timely words. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 25. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So, now here's a parallelism there. So here's... Cold water, but it's not to a thirsty body. The thirsty soul. My soul is thirsty for some good news. Ann Murray sang a song, I don't think she wrote it years ago, called We Sure Could Use a Little Good News Today. So it's good news from a far country. The idea that someone is... I'm out of touch with them. I don't know what's happening. And I finally get some good. Oh, this is wonderful. Paula, did you hear? Church, did you hear? And now we can't appreciate this because of the internet and we got phones. But in that day, but the principle we get, we appreciate good news. I want to say something very kindly to you. And and I, I I don't have any person in mind when I say this, but. 
Some of you have a negative bent. And the thing is, is, is you use that for good to build things and create things. But you tend to see the flaw in everything. I mean, rather than finding a solution in every problem, you, you have a problem, you find a problem in every solution. And uh, you're kind of like a wet blanket. You don't know it. In fact, you say, no, I'm not negative. I'm just realistic. And so your, your words aren't healthy. It becomes, a, you create a negative environment. You, you need to learn to speak healthy words, encouraging words. Someone said for every one negative word, you need to speak ten positives. I don't, I don't know about the ratio. That's not the point. But one-to-one isn't it. You've heard me say this before. You used to be taught that, you know, the sandwich approach. You don't want to criticize someone, so don't start out with a negative. Start with a positive. Well, you know, you're a good employee in your own time. But, and give them a negative and then close with a positive. One of my mentors said, well, that's a sandwich. It's a bologna sandwich. After you do that about three times, and they see you, you say, well, you're this. They don't hear anything. They're saying, okay, the butt is coming. And they don't hear the last part. All they hear is, is the cut, the cutting. And I use that word timely. And I, I pled with you to just think. We're so lazy mentally. We And again, I say this graciously. We don't know how to write thank you notes. We don't know how to encourage people. Did you know on your computer you can look up synonyms and find out words and, and use words? Words mean things. I like to go back in my memory with a person and put memories of them there and, and just not to criticize, build them up and, and refresh them. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And what that means, your countenance. I don't have a good countenance. I know I don't. have to work at it. I've said before, if, if I die before the rapture, you come look at me in my casket, you say, man, he's burning in hell. Look at him. Gosh, I thought my pastor was a Christian. I have a natural frown. A couple of weeks ago, I hesitate to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. I forgot to bring it with me today. Uh, <laughs> Paula came up to me. She had a picture of a, she put a big smiley face and said, smile. And she put it up there because <laughs> I don't smile enough when I preach. In fact, you know what? Years ago, years ago, I used to write it on, my, on, on, on the paper because I, I naturally tend, I get serious. And she says, you got those big old furry caterpillars over your face up there and that judgment of God. <laughs> you can tell people you love them. And they, I don't want to be like that. Refresh people. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. You know, did you know you don't smile with your, with your mouth? You smile with your eyes. A good report makes the bones fat. 
Hey, when it says a merry heart does good like a medicine, that's health, isn't it? Okay, now, is that your heart or somebody else's heart? A merry heart does your heart good? or I think it's both. And a good report makes your bones fat. That That's where you get your, your uh, white blood cells. And you read Psalm 32. I don't have time to go into the medical end of it. But it has to do with your health. Do you ever do you ever give good reports to the people you love the most? My friend Harold Vaughn, I love Harold. He's saying, brother, brother, give me a good report. Give me a good report, brother. <laughs> we need to be experts at timeliness in our words. And and, and be one one of my mentors said this. Within 10 seconds of engaging someone that you love, you need to say something that encourages them. And again, it's not the legalism having to stop. It's just being conscious that I need to do this. I need to do this. We refresh others with our timely words. Number two, we refresh others with our presence. Not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. But presence, our bodily presence. Romans fifteen thirty two. Paul said that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you, may with you be refreshed. You know what he was saying? I'm better off when I'm with you. On my journey to some other place, I want to stop by because I need you. You know, there's certain people. I'm just when I leave the prayer, I'm just better, man. I'm just, I'm a better man. They, they help me, not just give me endorphins, but I believe in myself more. We had a lady in our church named Galen Keeling. Galen and her husband sat on the second row right here. Now her husband, he, he always fell asleep in the service. And I loved him. Um, he's in heaven now. I can tell this. Uh, after after he died, I mean, our church was going through tough times. And after after she died, he got married, and so they moved out to Athens and joined the church. And I mean, we were we were having a tough time here financially. And he said, he said, guess what, brother Rick? I said, why? He said, we're going to this church out in Athens. I said, I am really glad. He said. And I'm finally tithing. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Those were not timely words. I thought I, did, I didn't need to know that. We were friends less after that. I'm just kidding. But his wife, I'm telling you, she was such an encourager. If you, if you just knew her, I used to tell people. She, she was like my mom. In fact, when she died, they gave a lot of her clothes to my mom, and she would wear them. And she made me better than I was. Here's the thing. I knew she was lying, but I liked it. And I could kind of diffuse some of the things. Well, that's not true, but maybe that's true. We ought to do that. Not lie. We ought to tithe. Now, Paul was in trouble. Stay with me just a few more minutes. Paul was in trouble. 
And uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, this will help you. He said, when we were in Macedonia, our flesh, our, our physical body had no rest. He said, we were, we were weary. We didn't have any physical refreshment. We were troubled on every side. The word troubled means great affliction. 360 degrees, before us, behind us, left, right, east, west, north, south. We had trouble everywhere. Now, these were his enemies, problems with the churches. Within, without were fightings, controversies, battles, strifes. Within were fears. By the way, we just sing just as I am. And that's where they got these lines from. Without were fightings. Within were fears. He was terrified, afraid. Now, now I just want you to stop. This is very, Second Corinthians is the most personal letter Paul ever wrote. I got problems on the outside. I got problems on the inside. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down. The two words cast down to be in a low place. It means to be depressed. Well, now, Christians aren't depressed. Well, I know. We need to mark it out then. I, I forgot. Paul, you're not supposed to be depressed. I'm going to mark that out in my Bible. Okay, there we go. No, Paul got depressed. God that comforteth. The word comfort means to sit down beside and speak words of encouragement and comfort. Not like Job's friends. And God does this. Now look at this. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now he was a co-laborer. The word God's comfort and Titus' comfort, are the, it's the same, same word. God comforts us. He dwells in us. He, abide, he just, as if he sits down, wraps his arm around us with his presence and hears us out. This is the same word, Titus. He comforts us. He just gives us time. A pastor friend that's in heaven now, uh, Richard White, he did, I think, two or three couples conferences for us. Richard had a knack for this. Richard Richard just heard you out. Paula knows what I'm talking about. He just listened to you. Uh, Gary Bird told me, we'd go out to, he said, I, I've never met anybody that had better people skills than Richard White. Now, I'm going to tell you what. You know what people skills are? It's love. You can people skills can be manipulative. When they're not manipulative, that's just love. Richard White knew how to love people. And here's what he did. He wouldn't lean back, he'd body lean, he'd lean into you. And he'd look at you, and there there was a countenance on his face, but just everything your problem was important to him. And then I, I have others here. Let me, let me show you. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. All my state shall Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you want to pronounce it, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant, whom I sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts with Onesimus. Same word, sit down and hear you out just to comfort you. 
Tychicus and Onesimus. Are, are you getting a picture here? Oh, Paul, just a great man. No, Paul had all these people. And, and, and you need the, that's why you need life group. You know what we do in our life group? We don't start right at 9.15. We don't start right at 9.30. I kind of gauge what kind of conversations people are having. Because we're not together a lot. First Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 6. When Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you. Now, here's what Paul says. In our affliction and distress by your faith. Same word, comforted, just to sit down and speak words of encouragement. That's what Timothy did in Paul's affliction and in his distress. His stress that became distress. Wow. It's a good man. And you need to be that way to your friends here in church, the people in front of you, behind you. And use, use Twitter. Learn to write letters. When John F. Kennedy got off, they landed at Love Field. I've been there and he got off the plane. And Jack, Jacqueline was wearing the, they'd come from Fort Worth, a short trip. She was wearing that pink outfit. And they were about to descend to get in that fateful Cadillac, he said, he said, walk slowly through the crowd. Walk. Now, that was for a different reason, but that's good advice. Walk slowly through the crowd. Spend time with people. And I'll give you this, and I'll be finished. Number three, you refresh people with your obedience. You refresh people with your obedience. When you obey the Word of God... You, you refresh people. You say, what do you mean, Rick? Well, here's how it works. In 3 John, in verse 4, John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. When John wrote this, he was an old man. And he spoke about his children. These are spiritual children. By the way, he had spiritual grandchildren. Maybe some great-grandchildren in there. And they were walking in the truth. Now, God gives us joy. But our, our fleshly children and our spiritual children can increase that joy. This is what the Bible says. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, here's, here's two sides of the equation. Watch this. When you invest in people, you're investing in your joy. When you honor their investment and you respond to that investment, you are giving those that invested you joy and you're encouraging them and refreshing them by your obedience. By the way, that's that's one reason I said I agree with that earlier statement that you can't always determine the the body politic and the 
in the environment. But I tell you what, I would love to shape this with the Holy Spirit of God. And this is just the introduction. I apologize for not getting to the message, but this this will help us. For helping, helping Friendship Baptist Church, that when somebody parks there and they walk in, that they would say, I don't know what this is. This is this is different. This is different. This is a different place. The presence of God is here. These people are different. You know what it is? You're like Jesus because you look at every one of these things that the Lord Jesus Christ obeyed his Father's will. He spoke the Father's words and he represented his Father. I want you to bow your head with me if you would. While you sit there, would you just ask God to give you the heart of a refresher? I want to do that. Would you pray that prayer with me? Just ask God to give you the heart of a refresher. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. I want you to know that Jesus died on a cross for you. Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for bad people like me. And He died for all of my sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All you need to do is admit that you have broken God's law and you've sinned. And come to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for violating your law and nailing you to the cross with my sins. And I believe you're God. And I believe you died for me. Would you save me from my sins today? I trust you. And receive you as my Savior. And He will save you and He will change you. And remove your sins and give you a...